0: This last Sunday, uh, we, we had to shut down because of the storm, but Pastor Taylor preached that beautiful message of John 3, where Jesus encountered the religious man, Nicodemus. And when Jesus encountered the religious man, Nicodemus, he said this, he said, you know, you must be born again. You must be born again. And, and you know, good old Nick, he, he, he questioned that because how can an old guy go back in his mother's womb? That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, I, I think you're missing the point. That just as everybody is born physically uh, in order to see life and enter this world, this kingdom, you must be born spiritually from above to see that kingdom. And the only way to have a relationship with God isn't through religion. It's not through church attendance. Thank you for being here, though. Uh, it's, it's not through giving in the offering. It's not through praying. It's not through going to small groups, all those activities. Those are great things, but those could become religious things, or they could only be religious things for you. You must be born again, and, and that means that every one of us, if we're here for the right reason, it's to really know God. Through Jesus Christ, and so we're born again. So we have this moment where we say yes to Jesus. I did that when I was 15 years old, that was 127 years ago. And um, I'm telling you, my life has forever changed. When I was a freshman in high school, I said yes to Jesus, and I was born again. I had no idea what I was getting involved in. I really didn't. All I knew at that moment was I was tired of running from God, I was tired of hiding this inner turmoil that was in my life. I was, I was tired of, of being afraid that I'd be judged by this God. Because I knew I didn't match up. And so I, I was there in, in a, a little bedroom in, in Petaluma, California. And I had everything ready and the bed was made. And I stood there and I just I said, okay, God, I, I, I give up running from you. I, I want to receive you. I, I want to believe in this. And, man, it just catapulted my life. And, and I'm, I'm here today up on this platform because of that decision. Um, that's not a promise for every person, please. Not everybody should be a pastor. God forbid. Okay, it's a, but you should be a minister. You should be a disciple maker. And everybody who comes to Christ should be inviting other people to come to Christ. That's what it means to be born again. And I believe that still today... People are born again. I believe that. Um, Obviously, if you're watching online, you're like, well, of course, you're a pastor. This is your job. But I mean, I mean that. I have seen over the years people receive Christ. Now, I not only think that a person has to be born again, but in a a, a broader sense, I think a church has to be born again. And if you've been with Sunrise for any number of years, you know that we we had that experience. About 20 years ago, we kind of looked at ourselves and said, "Hmm, we're kind of a church for church people. And there's a whole lot of those. so let's become a church for lost people. Let's figure out a way to reach the least and the last and the lost for Jesus. Let's not just think about our own comfort. Because we were, I'm just going to say this, and, and I get to pastor a lot of churches in the Northwest as far as pastoring pastors. We were like a typical church that had the calendar and the budget and all the facility exclusively used for those who were already inside. The insiders were the ones creating the gravitational pull. Remember that? Taylor and I talked about that at the beginning of January. The natural gravitational pull of a church is inward. And it's so easy for us to want what we want, you know? I got my likes. I, I want it my way, right? And, um, and yet that's not how Jesus did it. That's not how the church should be. We should have a gravitational pull that's outward, that we go out after the least, the last, and the lost, the hurting and the broken. And then when people come in, it is a safe, Place to hear a life-changing message. So we had that as a church, a, a born-again kind of experience where we, be, we started that journey of becoming a new church. And, man, I've seen hundreds, if not more, people come to faith. I've been able to see that personally, lead people who are far from God into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I also know this, is that not everybody liked that. And that is one of the challenges and the tensions is that, is that, that some of the church people, the Christians, left uh, because we were reaching uh, hurting and broken, lost people and people that were far from God. And you could see that and you could smell that and, and all that. And, and that was okay because they went to good churches. And, and that was a different kind of church growth. We helped other churches grow. That was awesome. By the way, did you see two of our, our ladies up here? They're pregnant. They're like 20 weeks along. That's church growth right there, my friends. Um, and um, Dolly couldn't come to sing that song with Aaron, but that's okay. Um, uh, you know, but But we began to experience growth. Because we, we truly began to see people as Jesus saw them. Dearly loved. Made in the image of God. No matter how broken or how damaged, how blown up their life was. That they still were loved by this amazing God. And Jesus had still come to bring brand new life into them. And that if we just offered that cup of cold water in Jesus' name. That some would say Yes. And we've just been living off that, and it's been such an amazing thing. Now, today we're going to see a story that it resonates with that same heart. It's a story from the life of Jesus. We're in the Gospel of John, and we're, we're walking through these stories. We're in John 4, and we're going to see Jesus... Breaking all of the taboo, social barriers and the taboos and the restrictions to reach a person and then a whole town with this gospel message of Jesus. And Jesus took incredible risks and risked rejection. From his own people and the people he was trying to reach. But his love for them was far greater than that. Now I'm going to do something that I never do before. I'm going to read a billion verses up front. It's actually about 42 verses. And so um, I need to just kind of dump the whole story down. And so if, if you could put your trade table up. If we go too fast, the oxygen mask will fall down from the ceiling. You'll be fine. But I know I don't don't normally do this, but I need to read the entirety of the story and then we'll take a look at it. So brace yourselves. Josh is going to try to keep up with me or I'm going to try to keep up with Josh. Who knows what will happen? So I want to go into John chapter 4 and we're going to start there in verse 3 all the way down to 42 so we can get the entirety of the story in one moment. So he, being Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. "Uh Uh-oh, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. (laughs) Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, but we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah just then his disciples came back they were shocked to find him talking to a woman but none of them had the nerve to ask what do you want with her or why are you talking to her the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone come and see a man who told me everything I ever did that's a little overstated okay could he possibly be the Messiah so people came streaming from the village to see him Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvesting, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then finally right here, then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. That is an amazing, amazing story. And thanks for letting me do the whole thing there. This could be like an 18-week series, but it's not. Um, Taylor only gave me 57 minutes to preach today. So um, whenever I read the Bible, especially a passage like this, a narrative passage, a story... I begin to ask myself questions, especially if I'm studying it for personal or to preach it. I just just wonder... What are the things I should ask? And so I approach it as if I were a reporter. You know those those W's, right? We've got the what, the who, the when, the where, the why. Maybe you ask a how. I, I begin to ask those questions. And so there's a lot of text there, but it's like, okay, so who is this? Who, you know, who's this Samaritan woman? You know, where is he? What is the situation? Um, who is with him? What is the tension in the room or out there at the well? What is happening here? Why are there some of the words being used, some of the apparent, you know, conflict in the conversation and how, how does God want us to live as a result of a story like this? And so I think those are all very, very, very important questions. If you came in and you grab one of the sermon notes page, um, you can read that. And and I've listed those questions there. They're just basic questions Uh, we teach in our Bible study methods class. And um, also you could see the devotional at the end that Beck has prepared for us. And so you can grab that on your way out if you didn't get it. But the questions are designed to dig into the story and enter into it and ask, okay, if I were there, who would I be? What would I be experiencing? Am I like Jesus delivering the living water this week? Am I like the Samaritan woman who's going to a well that's empty and dry and constantly needing? Nourishment and refreshment from it. Am I like the disciples who are going into town to serve Jesus, or or maybe missing all the Samaritans that are in the town that need faith? Um, who am I in the story? Who are you in the story? John puts this story in his book for a reason. Now, if you know anything about uh, the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—you know that primarily Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell very similar stories. And uh, they're known as what's called the Synoptic Gospels because they see through the same lens. And, and so they, they share stories back and forth, no big deal. But John is different. John it, it writes from a different purpose. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they write, uh, and this is kind of cool, they write the story of Jesus from the ground up. Along the way you discover who he is. And you see him as, as, you know, from the earth to heaven. John's like, forget that. I'm writing from heaven down. He, this is who he is. This is who he was from the very beginning. And so John has a different purpose. In fact, we read that. Remember this verse at the very end? Uh, Pastor Taylor read that the first week. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miracle, miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life and the power of his name. And so John has a purpose, and John alone includes the story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't tell of the story. They were there, but they don't tell of the story. John says, that story has to go in my book because I want to explain to people that there's something in this story that will help you believe and continue to believe and motivate you. Um, I read this uh, recently and um, and then I just thought it was really good and, and I just want, I want to quote it to you. It's on the screen here. It says, no one can ever be so good that they do not require Jesus as their savior. Nor can anyone ever be so bad that they are beyond being saved by Jesus. And so... Um, for you religious people, you can never be good enough. Okay. For you sinners, um, the rest of us sunrise people, you can never be bad enough. Okay. So no matter who you are, if you think you're good enough, you can never be good enough. If you think you're too bad, you can never be too bad. Because there is a God who loves you, but you are required to come to Jesus on his term, at his level. What I find interesting in the story is that, that there are no crowds Jesus is teaching. Uh, There are no miracles that are being performed. Nobody of any great importance is written in the story. It's almost like a throwaway story. Why would John include this story in his gospel so that you would continue to believe in Jesus? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just walk through a couple observations. And again, it's not normally the way I do it, but I, I, I want you to, to see this. And, and I'm going to put them on the screen. They're in those sermon notes. And if you're watching online, you can, you can download those on our, our podcast page. But I want to just make a couple comments. We've preached this a lot. And then I want to draw a conclusion and share a story, a sunrise story, and then give you an opportunity. A couple thoughts. One, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's not, that's not actually technically correct, okay? I'm not saying the Bible's lying. I'm just saying that no good Jew would go through Samaria. See, now now we'll get to this. There were two groups. There were Jews and Samaritans, but the, the Jews and Samaritans hated one another so much uh, that they wouldn't go into their territory. And, and, and Israel was this long, tall land, and at the top, Galilee, and at the bottom, Judea. And Galilee is where the Sea of Galilee was, and Jesus did his ministry in Capernaum. Down here in Judea was uh, Jerusalem and, and that most important part where the temple was. But in the middle was this area called Samaria. And if you were a faithful Jew, if you were any Jew, you would not travel through there because you could be attacked. You know, you would, you would get dirty spiritual cooties from these Samaritans because they were half breeds and, and they worshipped false things or whatever. And, and, and they just weren't the good people, right? They were on the other side of the tracks. And so you would go around them to get to the north and then go around to get to the south. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And if you were a Jew, and because of the expediency of the time and the necessity of getting there, you made a beeline, and you never, you never stopped. In fact, you made sure that you started early, early morning so you could get out by evening because you couldn't dare trust on the hospitality of a Samaritan. And you didn't dare enter a village as a lone Jewish person. You would be in trouble. And it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus was on a mission. Jesus had to go to this place to meet this woman, and, and then to interact with her whole town. And so I, I just want to ask questions. Where do you have to go? Or do you even see that as part of your calling as a follower of Christ? You look around this world, and you say, uh, there, there are groups of people I, I wouldn't hang out with. And then I think you have to go there. Um, are, are are there areas where you go, I, I don't want to go there? Then you have to go there. Are are there. Are there maybe... Issues of racism or issues of economic, social disruption or struggles? Is there something that's broken in our system? And you look at a group of people and you go, well, some people can reach those. Maybe those people are beyond reach, but I'd rather reach these comfortable people I'm reaching. Well, then I think you have to go there because Jesus had to go there. And this woman believed and her town, her village believed because Jesus was on a mission to reach hurting and broken, the least, the last, and the And if we are ever going to be like Jesus, we have to go there. We have to go there. He crossed racial lines. Jesus spoke alone with a woman. That's an interesting point because when you think about Jesus speaking alone with a woman, we wouldn't consider that an issue at all today. But in that day and age... That was incredible taboo. I mean, especially because Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher. He was alone with the woman in the Middle East, today even. You don't dare do that. In the ancient Near East, you couldn't do that because that was seen as overly sexual or overly familiar. And so Jesus is sitting there tired, exhausted, thirsty at the well, and the woman approaches. He should have gotten up and you know walked away 20 or so feet just to give her space, right? But he didn't. And he interacted with women. One of the most beautiful things about the ministry of Jesus is that he broke the social taboos by including women in his company of disciples. And, and not only that, the women, some of the women paid the bills, okay? And so he elevated the role and the value of women in ministry. And you see this here. She's the first, worst, first person who you know, hears these words, I'm the Messiah. Later on at the end, you see Martha. She says, You know, when this story of believing, she goes, I've always believed you're the Messiah. The women were the first believers. The women were the first ones at the tomb. So Jesus elevated the role of women in ministry, and he crossed social lines to get to this woman. He ignored the religious hostility. Uh, Books have been written. Sermons have been preached. I mean... We could go on for hours about the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans and why? Because when the Jews had disobeyed God in the Old Testament and God ripped them out of the land to discipline them and to send them off, it was the people that had controlled them that had a desire to mix what was left and the poor and the broken and the discarded Jews were left in the land and then so the other groups came in, the Assyrians, and then they mixed them together and so they were half-breeds, they were hated people. And Jews didn't dare associate with because they were lower than the dirt on their feet. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if you're in 1950s Alabama, it's like there would be a water fountain that said Jew and a water fountain that said Samaritan. There would be a bathroom that said Jew and a bathroom that said Samaritan. There were places on the bus that Jews could sit and then the Samaritans had to sit in the back if they even got to sit, right? That's how it was. Or push it back 10 or 20 years, even let's go to the late 30s, early 40s in Nazi Germany. There There would be two groups, right? There would be those that had lined themselves up with the Nazi party, the Socialist Party. And then there were the Jews or the outcast or those that didn't meet up to this Aryan nation. And, and you, you just didn't have anything to do with them, right? That's the tension that's going on. Jesus broke those religious and social lines. Jesus humbled himself before her. I love this. He came in and he had a need. Uh, Does Jesus have power? (laughs) Absolute power. But he's weak in that moment. He's tired. He's thirsty. And he invites her. He asks her, could you give me a drink? Jesus exposes his vulnerability, vulnerability to her. You know, one of the best things we can do as followers of Jesus, yeah, I get it. We have the right answers. Okay, fine. I get it. You know, we have the right motive. That's fine. I get that, you know. But sometimes we don't have the right approach. Sometimes we come in and try to just, Yell at everybody, right? We just try to tell them what everybody needs to know and everybody needs to do. When's the last time you just come in weak and vulnerable and said, Can you serve me? A world opens up in a relationship. When you come in with a need. Jesus revealed his weakness to her. Jesus treated her as an equal. Again, between men and women. Women were not considered equals in that culture. And he he loved her and showed her. Now there's this little thing in the text. And and you'd have to go back. But there's this, this statement that says. For Jews do not even associate with Samaritans. Literally, it meant. And it was the words were. That Jews do not put their lips to the same cups as Samaritans. The dirty, filthy Samaritans have these cultural, religious, racial, social cooties and germs, and we can't dare drink from the same cup. That's how bad the hatred was. That's how intense the animosity was between the groups. That the, the Jewish people had cups and, and, and they believed that the cup had to be ritually pure. And if a Samaritan drank from it, just throw it out. Because it's that bad, right? It's like, what is it, like 5th and 6th grade elementary school between boys and girls, right? I mean, this is crazy. But that's what they had. Jesus broke that taboo. He ignored the hatred. This woman, for some reason, is at a well at noontime. Culture indicates that uh, she would have come early morning and late at night with a group of other women. But she comes alone at noontime which many, many commentators believe reveals how much of an outcast she is, that she's too bad even for the Samaritans, and she's living with the guy, and she had given up on five husbands already, right? And so Jesus loved her. Uh, Jesus asked her questions. Uh, Jesus engaged with her on a level of engaging a conversation. I think, and I'm, I'm, man, I've fallen victim to this. We try to answer everybody's questions, and we just spout a bunch of knowledge. But Jesus didn't do that. He interacted with her as an equal, and he invited her into the conversation. One of the best things you could do if you're witnessing or sharing the gospel, the story of Jesus with a friend, is don't have all the answers. I know you've got them, but hold them close, okay? And ask questions. Let people engage at their level. Let God's Holy Spirit allow them to process through the journey instead of just throwing the answers their way. That doesn't help people. Uh, number seven, Jesus gave hope to the hopeless. This is beautiful because throughout the story, she was rejected. He, he accepted her. Uh, she was filled with shame. He, he, he showed her respect. She relied on a religious heritage and religion, and Jesus gave her a relationship. He welcomed her into his midst. Again, who is far from God in your life? Who is the person that's least likely to make it to heaven in the yearbook, right? Okay, okay. Who is the person that you would say, ah man, I think even that person is far from God? I don't I don't even think Jesus can reach that person. Or uh, out of all the group at Intel or out of all the people or all the students or all the people in my neighborhood, don't point if they're here, please. Um, but who is the person least likely to succeed spiritually? Go after that person. Because when Jesus shows up, all things are possible, my friends. He gave hope to the hopeless. And finally, he revealed himself as Messiah. I got choked up when I read that because John writes these seven I am statements. He says seven signs. He shows them. But this is the first one that actually isn't included in the list. The first time Jesus revealed himself as Messiah, the first time he pulled back the cloak, he revealed, pulled back the curtain to show who he was, was to a Samaritan woman that was incredibly immoral, right? He revealed himself to this gal. And he spoke clearly to her and plainly to her. And she believed. And she not only believed, she went after her town. And she went into her town and she told everybody. And people came out and there's so much in that story. A couple years ago, uh, a a gentleman came through our church. And he came through community service. And, um, well, in fact, instead of just telling you a story, we're going to watch a story. Let's take a look at this.
1: Hi, my name's Greg Getchell. I've been coming to Sunrise Church for about three years now. Uh, I grew up in a very, very dysfunctional family, uh, abusive, alcoholic father. I was on my own when I was 15 years old, uh, got into drugs, got into alcohol, and pretty much stayed that way, Uh, used a lot of people. Uh, I went to a Catholic school, believed in God, but. only asked God for help when I was in trouble. Um, uh, but my life was just a mess, uh, a total wreck. Uh, I uh, I was a lost soul. I lived that way for about 40 years and got in a little trouble and uh, wound up here at Sunrise doing community service. I, I talked to some people here and Jesus died on the cross for my sins and one day I was walking down the hall uh, the Holy Spirit came into me the next day I threw away my alcohol threw away all my dope, pot, everything. I have no craving for it I love the Lord Jesus. I went through a a Bible study with Pastor James it was uh, quite a long course and then I started teaching this to the homeless and helped turn their lives around. Lord Jesus can do, do this to you also. I know this God is real. He's changed my life and I was bad. He can change your life too. Um, let him in. Open your heart. Jesus loves you.
0: My wife and I were driving into town on Monday morning. And we got a call, and we stopped by his apartment. And he passed away on his 70th birthday at 4 in the morning. He woke up to Jesus. And um, 70 years old. And uh, I love that line, he goes, I had done some really bad things, so I ended up at sunrise. That's like all of our story, right? <laughs> um, I want to thank you for being the kind of church that not only receives the Greggs of the world, but welcomes them into community. Greg's story is, is, is so comprehensive, and we could tell you so much. But when he showed up for community service, after fulfilling all of his hours, he kept showing up. And we're like, okay, you're done. The slip is signed. You, you don't have to anymore. And, and he kept showing up, and we'd engage and sit down and hear his story. And he was angry. He'd been in jail. He'd been in prison. He he was an abusive person and he was just a vile, ugly person inside. And yet we weren't seeing that person because he was seeing us. And and then he came to Christ and you saw his baptism. That was in November of 17. And then, you know, we finally got tired of him volunteering. We insisted on paying him. He became one of our custodians and, and he would hang out. And that really long Bible course I taught, it was 12 weeks, Greg, come on, it's 12 weeks. And, um, and I taught it in the four-year. It was a Bible study methods class, kind of hermeneutics and you know, all that. And, and I taught it. And this, this, this was amazing. I taught Greg how to study the Bible. I mean, just in a class with about a dozen other people. And then I would see him hanging out at the table over there in the smoking corner outside. And uh, I'd come in in the mornings, and, and, and he'd have the Bible being played. He and Josh would be out there with some of the community service guys, some of the homeless guys. And after a while, I stopped, like, what are you guys doing? And, oh, Greg's teaching us the Bible. I'm like, this is awesome. And then he found the Bible Project, and he was, like, overdosed on the Bible Project, you know, and videos and all this stuff. And he was so hungry because he had lived such a long life apart from Jesus, but he didn't keep it to himself he knew that that cup that jesus had filled that finally satisfied him wasn't just for him it was for other people in fact we gave you this cup on the way in and this cup i want you to take it out and and hold it and i want you to consider this cup right now because the reality is the gregs of the world the me the you of the world we're all trying to fill our cup with something that satisfies like a woman at a well right And Jesus comes in and with love and with boldness says you're wasting your time because that won't satisfy you. It was Blaise Pascal who said, and it's so beautiful, that every one of us have a God-shaped hole or vacuum in us. Only God can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And yet we live in a world, and, and we participate in it too, that goes out to fill our cup with something else. But only Jesus satisfies Just a couple thoughts here. Just, I mean, this is so beautiful. Everyone is empty. Everyone is empty, my friends. Everyone you encounter this week is empty. And only Jesus can fill that cup. I mean, they're trying hard to fill it. They're drinking from wells, but only Jesus satisfies. Everyone is lonely because everybody has blown up their life, right? And only Jesus can provide the ultimate friendship. When you see Greg walk around and when you were talking with him, he was so filled with joy because Jesus had entered his life. He had a forever, forever friend. Everyone is guilty and only Jesus can forgive the sin that produces your guilt. And everyone is afraid to die and only Jesus can provide eternal life. I, all, all I know is that his sister said that he stopped snoring at four in the morning and she you know, reached over and kicked him to, you know, to wake him back up or whatever and, and that was it. And he met Jesus face-to-face, the Bible says, at that moment. And, and we were the ones that had the blessing of walking the journey with him. You know that, that um, any, any given week, statistics say, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you encounter, in, in some kind of relationship, you encounter 20 people who are far from God. And, and that's an average, okay? And... You know, any given week and pre-COVID and online and all that. We have 1,000 people here at Sunrise. Every week, we encounter 20 times that. 20,000 people. Maybe some overlap, maybe some of the same, I don't know. But can you imagine this week if you were to take this cup and set it in a prominent place, put it somewhere where only you know what it means as a symbol, as a reminder that there are 20 people far from God around you that are trying to fill their cup with something and it will not satisfy. But there is something and there's someone who is wanting to fill their cup and he's inviting you to go there. You have to go there, my friend. You have to go through Samaria because there are people needing Jesus and you have Jesus, who is the only one that will fill their cup. 20,000 people this week we could impact. (laughs) Just do the simple math, right? 20,000 people. It's unbelievable to think that God has saved you. And he hasn't just saved you for you. He saved you to reach the other people around you. This woman, (laughs) she was reached a whole village came to Christ because of her. Who's come to Christ because of you? And if not, I think you need to lift up your eyes, as Jesus said to his disciples. Other people have already done the hard work. All you have to do is invite them. Not everybody will believe. But one day, there'll be people that stand up and go, hey, I I, I believe, not not just because you told me, (laughs) but because I've seen him myself. John chapter four, my friends. This woman brought salvation to her whole town. And what Jesus offers today is still the same eternal life. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we we just want to thank you for this story and Greg's story. There's no question our heart is filled with this bittersweet joy and pain of losing Greg. But he is a reminder that we're all not as bad as we think we could be because you're a great Savior. And if we're here or we're watching online or we're even just reading this and we think we're too far from your saving grace, remind us that Jesus came for us. And maybe we're here and we're kind of proud of how great we are and all the good stuff we do for you. Um, We can never be good enough to outshine Jesus and his salvation. So Father, we we just invite you to once again move in in the heart of our church to see the 20 people this week that are empty and far from God. That would just be willing to have a conversation about what could fill their soul and that we could introduce that many more people to Jesus. Not because we have anything going on on our own, but we've met him at the well and we got to run into the town and tell
1: more. We pray in your name, amen.